2: The feeling I'm getting ready to talk about is one we're all familiar with. It's responsible for creating that tingling feeling on the back of your neck and makes those goosebumps come up on your arms and makes your stomach turn. It's often called the sixth sense or your gut feeling. Did the woman you just met creep you out just a little? Is it you or is something off about that van that has circled your neighborhood? All of those things you can't explain logically but you just know aren't right That's intuition or a gut feeling. Some people may laugh at the idea of following your gut. I think for some, it's much easier to trust logic, but there's actually scientific evidence to support this quote-unquote gut feeling. According to Healthline, quote, gut feelings can evoke a range of sensations, some unlike the physical feelings associated with anxiety. Other more positive sensations might seem to confirm your choice. Some people describe gut feelings as a small internal voice, but you'll often, quote, hear your gut feeling talking to you in other ways. These feelings tend to come on suddenly, though they aren't always strong or overwhelming. You might experience them as a faint whisper or the sensation of uneasiness, but they can also feel so strong you can't imagine ignoring them. If it seems like your brain is encouraging you to take notice of those feelings well you're not far from the mark according to this website signs of a gut feeling include a flash of clarity tension or tightness in your body goosebumps stomach butterflies nausea a sinking sensation in the pit of your stomach sweaty palms or feet thoughts that keep running to a specific person or situation and a feeling of peace safety or happiness despite the fact that we have all got this intuition embedded in us. We often find ourselves ignoring it, again, citing logical explanations over butterflies in our stomach. We push back that little voice in our head, we ignore that nagging feeling in our gut of, as silliness, but sometimes that silliness holds merit. Healthline says research links these flashes of intuition to certain brain processes, such as evaluating and decoding emotional or other nonverbal cues. As you go about your day, your brain collects and processes sensory data from your environment. You're perfectly aware of some of this information. Your brain carries out these processes automatically to help you prepare for any situation that might come up. And since these processes run in the background, you may not always realize what you're observing or what it means but it prepares you to act on intuition. In today's case, our mother went against her gut feeling. She defied that mother's intuition, and every day of her life, she regrets that decision. She holds blame and guilt for a choice she made in good faith, a choice she said led to the disappearance of her son. This is the story of Michael Dunahy.
3: Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We
2: will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the case will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases podcast. And to follow us on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast and on TikTok at Coffee and Cases Podcast. Because as these families know, conversation helps to keep their missing family member in the public consciousness, helping to keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week.
1: Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands.
2: So, sleuth hounds, I don't know how the weather has been in your neck of the woods, but here in Kentucky, the last few days have been textbook springtime weather. Awesome. Yes, it's been so amazing. The sun's been shining. There's been a light breeze in the air. There's really hardly any clouds. It's just been, like, typical spring weather. It's that type of weather that begs you to go outside. It entices you to read on the porch, take a walk, plant some flowers, and just enjoy the beauty of Mother Nature.
3: I mean, I'm not we've talked about this an outside person but even i have been drawn <laughs> outside this week yeah i'll sit and read a book drink my coffee yeah have the it's window super open nice. yeah
2: it's been great and so this weather was very much um similar to the scene of today's crime that we're going to be discussing so spring had sprung in victoria british columbia on march 24th 1991 so canada i
3: know is it Maggie always does the Canadian cases, I, and Canada loves Maggie, so Well, I this love works. Canada, so <laughs> this works. Perfect combo. Yeah,
2: that's on my bucket list to go there one day. Um, so the sun was shining, and it was calling everyone to come enjoy the warmth, and Crystal and Bruce Dunahy packed their four-year-old and their six-month-old into their family car and headed to Blanchard Park Elementary
3: School. I mean, that's a lot to pack up two kiddos. Yeah, especially when they're that tiny. Right. I imagine it's a lot of things that have to go. And then, but probably hoping, like, run around,
2: get your energy out. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) The family arrived just before 1230. And Crystal, which I thought this was really cool. Like, when I read this, I was like, you go, Crystal. She actually played on, like, a two-hand touch,
3: like, football league. Huh. I know. I'm not, I'm not coordinated. And like,
2: oh. I mean, I kind of would picture like Bruce doing that, but I yeah, thought that was cool that but is it was awesome. Crystal, yeah. Um, and she actually had a game that day, so she was there for the game. Bruce was there to observe and keep tabs on, okay, the
3: babies. Again, good for them. Yeah. So you go, Bruce, breaking and the traditional gender role. <laughs> yes. So that's great. <laughs> so shortly after arriving,
2: just as any small child would have. Michael could no longer ignore the pull of the playground. Like, it's enticing. Even as a 30-year-old, I'm like, ooh, there's a slide. Let's go. Swings. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so he quickly ran over to ask his mom, as she was putting on her, like, shoes for this football game, Uh if he could go and play. And despite the gut feeling that she felt that advised against it, she agreed to let him go and play. Okay. And she actually said in an interview with CBC, quote, I did up his hood because it was windy out that day and I let him go to the park and I told him to stay there and wait for daddy to come. I made sure he was looking at me and that he understood that he was allowed to go to the park by himself, but he had to stay and not leave with anybody else and wait for his dad to come. I recall having those tummy butterflies, and I regret not following those, end quote, because
3: it is sad. Okay, so she's nearby, Yes, but is allowing him to play by himself.
2: Right, and I pictured this, which there's some pictures that we can post for you guys, but as I was researching it, before I really looked at any pictures, like my elementary school like had a park that we played on like, like a playground that mm-hmm. we played on during recess but in the afternoons it was like a public park okay so people could come there and it had like a softball field and at one point it was a like a football field and so that's
3: kind of what i pictured okay like similar layout to that yeah
2: like i pictured like her the area wherever she was playing was like right beside where michael would have been playing hmm and sadly, sleuth hounds, in the time it took Crystal to finish putting her shoes on and for her husband, Bruce, to literally turn to check the score of the previous game and then turn his attention back to the playground, Michael had vanished.
3: Oh my God. I can't, I can't imagine that sinking feeling of panic to turn around and yeah, your child's gone.
2: Yeah. And like, I think I've said this before, one time I was babysitting my little cousin and she hid from me like inside yeah and i can remember like that panic of oh my god like i have lost her and like i can remember freaking out and of course bruce was and so he checks the entire park you mm-hmm. know maybe thinking like he's hiding behind a tree right he's, you know because it's pro- again it's
3: probably not that big right and so yeah
2: and he quickly is able to check everything but he did not spot michael so then he stops the game because, that's exactly what I would yes, have done. Yes, I would have been like, Like, come emergency, help me. yeah. And people do come and help. More than 50 people actually start helping them look for Michael in that initial search. Um, and no one saw him or a trace of him. And the parents called 911 quickly because by 1 p.m.,
3: police were already at the park. Okay, so that's good that they acted quickly. But then I'm thinking, you know, if they're showing up for a game and they're spectators, that mm-hmm. means that there are quite a few people there yeah so it could literally be if he's abducted it could be anybody and you know nobody even notices
2: so there are um which we'll talk about here in a second like there's very little evidence with this case because i think it happened so quickly i just don't think people were like It's not like they saw a four-year-old wandering by himself, and you're, like, keeping an eye on him to make sure nothing happens to him. It's Mm -hmm. like he was just gone. And so there is a little bit of, like, eyewitness testimony and, like, some things that people thought that they saw. But, again, like, I'll talk about that, too. Like, there would have been reason for those people to be there. Right. Like, it's not weird that there are people at this playground. Because there's other
3: things going on. Right. But then, also in my head, and I know you'll probably get to us talking about this, but, like, I think about my little sleuth hound, and even at age four, she was at least aware enough that if anybody who wasn't someone who she knew tried to even grab her hand or lead her somewhere, I mean, I feel like she would have caused a big scene, you know, yeah. like, made a ruckus, and so... The fact that it could happen so quickly and quietly, yeah. I was going to say noiselessly, <laughs> <laughs> was like, quietly, then I don't know if it's more likely to be someone who Michael would have known. So we'll
2: talk about okay. all that okay. in a minute.
3: Um, but according
2: to Canada's Missing Child, Michael Dunahy by L. Hall, police were able to quickly decide that because Michael went missing so quickly that he was abducted by a stranger. Mm -hmm. They don't think he just walked off by himself. Again, he's only four, so, like, where could he have gone that quickly? Right. Like, when you turn around, you're not going to see him, like, running off. Right. So, they do not look anywhere that I've read into, like, Michael's inner inner circle, like his parents or people in his family. they so police no suspicion are adamant, no.
3: turned. Okay.
2: Police are adamant that this is someone that Michael did not know. Hmm. I don't know what led them to really believe that, but that's what they are able to that's determine. Interesting. And that's really, honestly, all that police get from the scene of the crime. There's no, like, fingerprints. There's no tire marks. There's no, like... Well, yeah. I mean, if you're in a park, what yeah. is there to touch? Right. Exactly. So, authorities interviewed all known sex offenders, which was good in the area, and they interviewed several witnesses, but very little information was uncovered. Police had reports that a man in his late 40s or early 50s had been near the playground and that a brown van had also been spotted nearby. But to me, like I said, like, these things aren't really odd. Right. Like, it's not like Michael's family is the only family at the park, or maybe there's like two families at the park, and it's weird that there's a 50-year-old man walking around this playground. But there's like a game going on. So... Perhaps he was just accompanying, like, walking to see his daughter play in this game. Or was, like, going... Maybe you had to walk through the playground to go to the bathroom or the concession stand. Like, I feel like you can explain Mm -hmm. the presence of what you would consider, like, a random man. Mm -hmm. The same with the brown van. Like, what's so creepy about this brown van? Like, there's going to be plenty of vehicles. Was it, like, circling and kept,
3: like, going back and
2: forth? Or was it just parked somewhere?
3: And this makes me think, too... I guess there are certain vehicles, vans especially. Oh yeah, but associated. does it have windows?
2: Mm-mm. Right,
3: but nobody's ever like. There was a suspicious white Camry. Yeah, the yeah block, You know, yeah. like it's always the van. The van. Yeah. So, like I said,
2: to me, I can justify why that man would be in the park. I can justify why there was a brown van nearby. Right. But maybe that's just it. Like maybe we are trying to follow the logical explanation of things and ignoring. Like, the intuition that we might have about those things.
3: Right. We, I mean, you and I talk about it. Almost every episode, we end up saying, you know, people who rationalize. Yeah. And when we should have, because we're, we don't want to come off as, I don't know, um, overreacting mm-hmm. or... Or whatever it is. Or, like,
2: scatterbrain kind of. Like, right. you just jump to conclusions. Right. But sometimes I feel like that's the the most logical thing to do, is to follow that gut feeling and mm-hmm. that, like, kind of jump to those conclusions. Mm-hmm.
0: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McKrispie Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day.
2: So, you talked about, like, why Michael may have been so trusting of strangers and why this would happen so quickly and so quietly. Well, from what I read, um, Victoria, British Columbia, was a really tight-knit place, and Michael's disappearance really, like, uprooted, like, the foundation of this area, like several articles that I read, the hall article that I cited earlier she has a long section at the end about she remembers I'm assuming you're a she sorry if you're a he but um, <laughs> they assu- like they remember when Michael went missing and they talk about in the like the bottom of that article like how it affected their family and oh, so wow. there were several articles that I read that the people writing them would be like I remember when this happened I remember like, hearing this on the news. This is what my family thought of this. This is how it affected like my community. So Michael's disappearance really did change Victoria, British Columbia. And actually in one article that I read called A Loss of Innocence the Disappearance of Victoria, British Columbia's Michael Denham. They actually compare his disappearance to the death of John F Kennedy here in the United States. Jeez, I so know. that's that's big. Yeah, because they say that everybody that was alive during that time knows where they were when they found out that a small boy had been kidnapped off a playground.
3: Wow. So this is like unheard of.
2: Yeah. So I think that maybe the community was just so close that Mm -hmm. he wouldn't have been scared of a stranger coming up and talking to him at the park. Right. A month after Michael's disappearance, police actually staged a recreation of that day at the elementary school. Like, I don't know if that's kind of common. Like, this was really the first in all of the episodes that we've covered that I really remember reading about. Recreating like,
3: the scene. Yes. Yeah.
2: But they did it in a hope that, like, by having the community walk through, like, the movements of that day, mm-hmm. that someone might remember something that they would have otherwise like, just passed off as, like, a, nothing out of the ordinary or, like, maybe a subconscious memory. Right. Like, that
3: kind of thing. Or even, like, if you think about it, if they're recreating it and they're saying, okay, where were you standing? Because, obviously, you know that mom and dad are going to remember exactly yeah, where they were standing when they, you know, mm-hmm. discovered. And then, you know, you look around and you could say even, okay, am I closer to, say, a road That would have been a a quick... Or like the parking lot. Exit, right. So, maybe you would even at least have a clearer idea of, like, which direction, if somebody took him, they likely went. You know, because if Mm. it's, like, super open over here, then they probably didn't go that way because then you would have turned back around and, Right, exactly, I've seen them. Right. Mm. And it's hard, too, because, you know, the dad, obviously, you know, it was a quick turnaround to look at the scoreboard... But, like, when you're doing something like that, you're not gauging, like, okay, I'm spending five Five seconds seconds. versus, like, 20, you know. So, that does make it a little bit harder. But I think that's super interesting.
2: Yeah. I didn't think about, like, the time that the dad would have considered, like, a short amount of time. Mm Because I know, like, I'll be on TikTok, and I think it's 30 seconds, and it's like...
1: An hour later. later yeah.
2: <laughs> I know. I'll say, okay, you give, you get one more minute and like I'll watch. <laughs> so I guess we don't really have a very good perception of right. time that it takes for us to do things. But they even went so far in this recreation that they included using a brown van. So the same van that had been spotted by a child on the day of Michael's disappearance. Oh, and in an interview with CBC, now retired detective Fred Mills said, quote, well, we did put a lot of resources into the brown van tip. In fact, we did locate a brown van, a number of brown vans, and we eliminated the owners and drivers through interviews. The brown van was a big thing for a while until we could discount it, End quote. So nothing really came from the reenactment. There were no, like, substantial recollections of things that they saw people saw that day and didn't report to police like right. nothing like groundbreaking came about mm-hmm. and at one point allison there were 15
3: detectives working on this case Gosh, that's a lot well i yeah. guess that just speaks to how you know unique it was that something like this happened like those articles mm-hmm. yeah i think you know, that, that you people were that many. personally invested in mm-hmm. michael
2: um, actually, I read somewhere, and I think I'll talk about it later on, that they actually were sorting tips by hand. Like, they were, like, writing them down as people would call in and then sorting them by hand. So, I'm sure it did take, like, an oh, army to right. do all that. Um, in the early stages of the investigation, police said that they would receive around 50 possible sightings daily of Michael. Oh my gosh. So, imagine trying to, to, like, decipher and shift, like, sift through all those. How yeah. could you determine, like where to send people out because if you're getting that many you there's no way you have well even if you have 15 you're going like three to four different places each person every day and like how long does it take like the person that sees thinks that they see michael to call police and then for police to go out like so much time passes and sadly like these like possible sightings happen a, a lot for this family and i say sadly because each time they're like could this be could yeah this could be. this be it and mm-hmm. then it never is so like i said police were receiving like 50 tips a day they've received thousands of tips hundreds of possible sightings from all over um, including even in new york new jersey and over all over vancouver island um, but we always end up where we started with a missing michael mm. so all of that never leads really to any answers According to Remembering Michael Dunahy, there was one very promising sighting of Michael in Chase, British Columbia. So, in 2006, like, the residents of this town were 100% convinced that this man that was living in their town was Michael. Like, police received several calls Mm -hmm. saying, like, this is him, this is him, this is him. So, they actually contacted this man, and they're like, hey, like we need to do a DNA test just to make sure which I feel like you would remember maybe not because four is kind of young so maybe you wouldn't remember that. I don't really have many memories from age four. And if I do it's like super spotty things that I probably just assume happened at age four because it's things that happened on my life. mm -hmm. Yeah. But they do a DNA test on him and it's not Michael. So again the family is just let down. Obviously there are not very many theories in this case. Like, we think it was a stranger that abducted him from the park, and that's really it. There is one, like, interesting, like, it's not even, like, a theory. Just one, like, really interesting, like, piece of information that makes you kind of say, that's really, like, coincidental and really odd. Okay. And when I read it, I was like, this is weird. So... This involves a man named Vernon Sites. Mm-hmm. Sites. That was really hard for my Eastern Kentucky accent to say. And he's now deceased, but he's from Milwaukee.
3: Okay. And so, it ties like the northern back in. US, yeah. right? Wisconsin.
2: Yeah. And he, according to the True Crime Files, in January of 2009, they find a missing person's poster of Michael inside Vernon's home. Okay. Which may not be weird. Okay, no, it's weird. Like, right. I don't, like, I don't know, like, how things really work, but, like, I would not see people in Milwaukee putting up posters of a missing British Columbian kid.
3: Yeah, unless he were, like, born there and then moved to yeah. Milwaukee. Or something, yeah. you know what I mean? Because if it was like so unique or different or whatever, yeah, I just it's just weird. But if to there's me. no relation, that is super yes. weird. And it's like up
2: in his home. I don't know if it's like hanging in his home, but they find it in his home. Like he's kept it, and he's kept it for a while because okay. it's happened in two in 1991, and it's 2009. Okay. So he's had this like 20 years. Old. Yeah, and like to me that would be. Wait, like, when did you say it happened? 1991. Did I, I, I say not, that? I don't I know. I'm not
3: good with math. Okay, I was like, did I say that right? Yeah, so that's, <laughs> yeah, almost 20 years. yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then I started, I, listen, well, like, I do dude, English, I, I don't do math.
2: <laughs> yeah, Anthony and I were talking about that today, because he was talking about like, we were talking about weird things that, like, people from Kentucky say, or mm-hmm. that, like, you pronounce differently in, like, certain geographical areas or whatever, and he was like, we just have to really make sure that our kids speak properly when they're out in public and he was like like they can't say I can't remember what he said now and I was like yeah but sometimes you say that like he'll say like Anthony says that word and he was like well I know but like I'm trying to stop and I was like you're welcome it's because I've corrected you on it that you have quit saying it and he was like I'll start correcting your math and I said well I have to can only use math if if it goes past my 10 fingers, I can't do it. <laughs> so cr- criticize away. <laughs> so anyways, back to back to Vernon. So he actually is dead of natural causes when police are like going through his apartment. And okay. what prompted police to go through his apartment is apparently before dying, he had confessed to his psychiatrist that he had killed two children in 1958, which I know 58 to 91, that's a big difference, but Like, I feel like if you've killed two... Yeah. That time frame, I feel like probably really wouldn't matter to you. You
3: know what I'm wondering, though? So, if he's... If he has died... And again, I don't do math. But if he has died in 2009... Mm -hmm. And he's 62... He was super
2: young in 1958. That's
3: what I'm thinking. So, maybe he had his years wrong... How old would he have been? We need to pause, because I have to do the math. (laughs) I know. So, if we do the math then, he would have been 11 when he killed two children. So, I'm wondering if when he's admitting to it, he might have committed the crime, but he just had his
1: his years years way off.
3: Or... I'm gonna have to go back
2: and check this source now, make sure that I typed it correctly. But I'm a hundred percent sure—I won't say one hundred, like ninety-nine percent sure—it was 1958. But like you said, like I don't think you murder people when you're 11. I, I, mean, I don't know. Think so I don't know. I would hope not. Yeah. So maybe, like you said, he just got his dates confused. Okay. So we did some math, and then. We double-checked my date of 1958, and that's what several sources said that, so I was correct. So, we are going to assume that Vernon had his dates wrong, because I would hope you would not murder two people when you're 11.
3: And, if he is 11, I doubt that he would have said, like, two children, because he's a child child. himself. Yeah.
2: Okay, so we're going to assume he has the dates wrong, but... That makes me even more inclined... To believe he could be involved. Yes, yeah. yeah. It really does. So, he has told his psychiatrist that he has killed two children. Local authorities come to his house to search his home, and they find lots of disturbing things. Oh. So, not only do they find this missing person's poster of Michael. which right, Which is odd. It's odd because it's not like they were neighbors, right? Right. They also find child pornography. Oh. Books on cannibalism. First of all, who who buys a book, who writes a book, okay, who yeah. a book? Where, where does one find a book, a
3: book on cannibalism? Like, can I go to Barnes and & Noble and just, like, buy a book on how to be a cannibal? And, like, what do you say other than, like, they eat people? Yeah, I don't know. That's so weird. But they find that. Okay. And then they find
2: tons of files on unsolved missing children's cases in the
3: U.S., Files. Yeah. Which means research.
2: Research. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. But they can't question him about it because he's dead. According to the article, New Link and Cold Case of Victoria Missing Boy since 1991, not only was Michael's missing person's poster found in this home, but there was also like a copy of a map of somewhere that was not in Milwaukee. And Vernon, I almost called him Victoria, had titled it Millstream Park. And what's weird about that is that northwest of Victoria, there's a Millstream Road that leads to several parks. I know. Wow. So, while Vernon did confess to killing two children, um, he never mentioned anything involving the Canadian boy to his psychiatrist, according to the Milwaukee police. But,
3: I mean children is very vague. Yes. So. And we know that clearly the dates are wrong. Right. Local
2: investigators are attempting to trace his movements in the late 80s and early 90s to determine whether maybe he did travel to Canada, specifically the British Columbia area in mm-hmm. that time. Mm-hmm. But I did not read anywhere where they Did
3: he own a brown van? Oh my god. I don't know. I didn't read that. Hmm. That might be something interesting if records, surely they would have looked that up.
2: Yeah, I'm sure they would have done that. But I didn't read anywhere where, like, their results were found, like, or were released, I mean. Um, And really, that's all we have, Allison. Uh, Michael's family is left with their grief and their brokenness. Even his little sister, Caitlin, if you remember, she was six months old at the time Mm -hmm. of his disappearance. Um, feels the loss of Michael, and she told one source, she said, "Quote, my mother says he was really good with me. I just have to hold on to that." And I think that's, that's so sad. Oh, that's really like sad. all the memories they could have had together stolen. Mm-hmm. All of his family has become super active in Canada's like different organizations within Canada that deal with missing children. Mm-hmm. Um, In fact, according to that L. Hall article, Michael's mother, Crystal, has since become an activist for missing children and is the president of Child Find British Columbia. And she's also helped implement the Amber Alert System in British Columbia. Wow. Which is Go, Crystal. Which we also covered that case. We did. The Amber. Amber, Yep, we covered her. Um, So now she's actually said that the Amber Alert system has spread to most parts of Canada. So it's more widely used, which I think is great.
3: Mm
2: -hmm. Um, And she says that, which is sad, and this is what the same thing Amber's mom said, that if the Amber Alert technology were available at the time of Michael's disappearance, Crystal is 100% certain that we could have had a different outcome. Right. Because like I said... They were sorting all those tips by hand. They were writing them and sorting them by hand. So there was, like, no real system to help spread the word. There was just... It was just... The technology wasn't there mm-hmm. in the early 90s. Um, according to True Crime Files, um, I think, Allison, that this will break your heart even more. Mm-hmm. So on top of losing their son, the Dunhees have had to endure additional pain and disappointment over the years. So not only have we had like dozens of sightings a couple promising ones that fell through Mm -hmm. people have also been like super horrible and like who would do this i have no idea but have left like family voice messages stating that michael was killed by a satanic cult another person called and demanded a ten
3: thousand dollar ransom for michael's return and then never called back i swear those people should be punished there needs to be a law yeah. about that. If There might be, but the, I have, oh my gosh, that makes me so angry.
2: And, like, I don't know who would think that's, like, appropriate upon or somebody's funny pain. to do. Yeah, no, there need, like you said, needs to be something in place to punish people that do that. Crystal still keeps a room for Michael and her family home. She's still holding on to the fact that Michael is safe and will one day come back to her. She said in an interview, quote, giving my permission to let him go play in the park by himself, I should have made him wait. That's the hardest part to deal with, end quote. So many times in life, we're left questioning the decisions we make. Did we do the right thing moving cities? Did we miss an opportunity passing up that job offer? Life is full of what ifs. But what life shouldn't be filled with are the what ifs like this. We've said it so many times. No one should have to rebuild their lives after losing a child. Crystal, my hope is that one day you can forgive yourself. My hope is that one day you're able to see that you did the very best you could for your child and that you did nothing wrong. Someone out there did do something wrong, though, and we're dedicated to finding answers for you. We know that someone saw something that day that can change this case. Someone's living with the guilt of knowing where Michael is, and it's our hope that they will come forward and help bring Michael home. Quote, his memories are still embedded in our lives and in our hearts, Crystal said. We know someone is out there who knows what happened. We need to find closure so we can move forward, end quote. At the time of his disappearance, Michael was wearing a blue hooded jacket with red lining and red cuffs, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles t-shirt, multicolored rugby pants and blue sneakers. Michael has blonde hair and blue eyes. We'll place an age progression sketch on our Facebook page. If you have any information on the disappearance of Michael Dunahy, Please call authorities at 1 800 222 8477. Again, please like and join us on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and to see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast and on TikTok at Coffee and Cases Podcast. Or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so that more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll We'll see see you you next week. week.